Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. 100 years ago this summer, Missourians awaited news regarding the ratification of the 19th Amendment. The state had approved the amendment, which prohibited the federal government and states from denying a citizen the right to vote based upon sex a year prior in 1919. However, it would take another year before Tennessee became the 36th and final state needed to ratify the new constitutional amendment in August 1920. As we consider the centennial of women's suffrage, the Armistice Podcast invites listeners to join us as we explore the fight for the right to vote through the eyes of a group of show-me suffragists who are not well-known in Missouri history. In this episode, we turn our attention to Northeast Missouri and the Clark family of Bowling Green. Joining us to discuss the Clarks is Ethan Colbert. Originally from Pike County, Ethan currently serves as a reader interest reporter for the Quincy Herald Whig. He is also a member of the board of directors of the Champ Clark House. Welcome to our Missouri, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's a privilege, and I'm really looking forward to uh, our conversation today about the Clark family. Now, tell us, in the kind of the opener here, tell us how you first came across the Clark family. So I can't tell you the exact moment that I first learned about the Clarks. As a native of Pike County, there are reminders of Champ Clark, his wife, and their famous children everywhere. Uh, For example, our city's largest festival is the Champ Clark Heritage Festival, which has been held for more than 20 years and is always on the second Saturday of September. Uh, There's a large bronze statue of Champ Clark standing on our courthouse lawn. Uh, Not to mention the Champ Clark family home. Honeyshuck is Bowling Green's lone uh, National Historic Landmark, and the bridge that crosses the Mississippi River at Louisiana is named the Champ Clark Memorial Bridge. So there are signs out there in our community that when you're growing up here, it's really hard to ignore uh, the Champ Clark name as well as the family's legacy. And to kind of help give our fellow Missourians some context as to how significant the Clarks were. Uh, Before there were the Kennedys and Camelot, before there were the Carnahans, before there was the Starks family, there were the Clark family. And they were wildly popular figures in the Democratic Party in America and abroad. Uh, While their name recognition between everyday Missourians and people elsewhere in our country may have waned over the years, their name still resonates here in Bowling Green and in Pike County. And just to give an additional uh, example of context as to how important they were, as as a reporter who studies history and digs into historical files, one of the things that I found is that there were literally hundreds of children, including many here in Pike County and in the Northeast Missouri region, who were born in the early 1900s who were named in honor of Champ and Genevieve Clark or their children. So these, this family had a profound impact on, on Northeast Missouri and I think our entire state. Now, 
Certainly, Champ Clark is well known as being connected with Congress and, and Speaker of the House uh, during his lengthy tenure, um, late 19th, early, early 20th century. But when we look at suffrage, the question really begins with his wife, Genevieve Davis Bennett Clark. Uh, tell us a little bit about her. Genevieve Davis Bennett Clark would be a fascinating person to just have an entire podcast multi-part series dedicated to. Uh, She, in my opinion, perhaps even more than her husband, her life story embodies what we know today as to be the American dream. She was remarkably close to becoming the first lady of the United States, a position that only a handful of women in this country have ever held. And that's a remarkable feat on its own. But what is even more remarkable is when you put it into context of her upbringing in Callaway County, being the youngest daughter of several children, a graduate of the University of Missouri who became a public school teacher in Louisiana. And she thought that was her life's work and her life's mission. But then for her to put that on hold, to help her husband campaign, who she met while she was a teacher at Louisiana, and then for her to become a formidable Washington, D.C. figure, both among men and women in that politics-laden city, I think just shows you kind of the meteoric rise of Genevieve Clark from letters that she's written to her contemporaries and to her children, and then from interviews of hers published in Harper's Bazaar magazine, we know that Genevieve Clark had a mind of her own. In fact, her her daughter wrote that her mother had a more brilliant mind than even her father. So I think she was somebody who was not always at center stage, but who was just off of the center stage. She was someone who understood the power of words and literacy. Um, We have countless examples here in our community of her starting literary circles for women, uh, for young women, older women. Um, And she helped build an extensive home library at Honey Shuck that uh, people of that time said, you know, it would rival uh, large home libraries anywhere in the country because of the number of volumes that it had. So ultimately, I think Genevieve did stand out based off of her physical appearance. I mean, she was five feet, nine inches tall, which is, from what I've learned, really a remarkable height for a woman of that time, but also her personality. And to give you an example of just kind of how independently minded uh, she was, the fact that when the Clarks bought Honey Shuck in the late 1800s, which the house was then on the edge of Bowling Green, the home and the property was in her name, not in her husband's name. And that is really unheard of for a woman of that time. And another example, and I wish I had more data and more letters and more primary resources to really dive into this dynamic. But what we know is that while her husband was a member and a very prominent member of the Bowling Green First Christian Disciples of Christ Church congregation, she maintained and regularly attended the Presbyterian Church here in Bowling Green. So you had these two very high-profile people who – while they agreed on uh, on a lot, they both kept their individuality when it came to their spiritual faith and to their church membership. And I think that is a great testament to just how kind of independent she was. 
another uh, thing that I, I love about Genevieve is the fact that she was so fiercely loyal to her family. And we know that after the 1912 Baltimore Democratic National Convention, where Champ Clark had come oh so close to becoming the Democratic nominee and the likely president of the United States, that she never forgave William Jennings Bryan for his uh, what she saw as his well-documented betrayal. And we have uh, letters that and statements from her that you know she viewed that William Jennings Bryan was very jealous of Champ Clark's popularity and that he never lost an opportunity to, quote, knife him in the back, end quote. And so I really think she was this dynamic, vibrant person who was just really uh, a remarkable individual. And I wish, like I said, we had more time, more resources to really dive into who she was and to really understand the intricacies of her of her personality and of her life. Now, in thinking about her relationship with with Champ Clark, thinking about that kind of notoriety of being well-read, keeping a a well-stocked library, how did she perhaps or did she influence her husband's politics or even the politics of her son, Bennett Clark, later on in his political career? So that's a great question. And when I first as you were asking it, the first thing that popped into my head was that there's a line from the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where the matriarch of the family says that while the man is the head of the household, the woman is the neck, and that she can turn the head any way she'd like. And based off of what we know about Genevieve and her personal politics, I think that phrase would apply to some of the political positions that her husband and son took during their careers. That being said, that should also come with a rather large asterisk because Champ and Genevieve's politics were very much in harmony with one another. They were both loyal Democrats with Clark identifying identifying himself as a Jeffersonian and a Southern Democrat who championed for the direct election of U.S. senators, which we see in the 17th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And that amendment was passed during his tenure of as Speaker of the House. Genevieve's role during all of this time was helping Clark grease the wheels for those folks who may have been riding the fence, who weren't sure if they were really supportive of this effort or not. So, you know, she would host dinner parties that were very exclusive, but also renowned for their hospitality and for being something that you really wanted to go to. If you were in Washington, D.C., you wanted to be invited to the Clarks for dinner because it was not just going to be dinner. It was going to be a conversation. And they were both ample conversationalists who could dive in, dissect, and discuss the major issues of the day. And so I think her politics and Clark's politics were very much in harmony with one another. I mean, we know for sure that Clark backed efforts to ironically eliminate the Electoral College, which is an issue we are still discussing today. He described the Electoral College as being a clumsy and cumbersome nuisance. Uh, He also believed that primary elections should be held for the selection of party presidential and vice presidential candidates, which we see happening today. And so I really think positions that Clark took were positions that Genevieve would have also taken had she been given the platform of being Speaker of the House, because I think they were people who would have discussed politics. They would have discussed 
political positions and issues. And I think, you know, I think the positions that Champ took really give us an insight into the positions that Genevieve took. And I think the same could be said uh, for their son, Bennett, during his time in the U.S. Senate. And I know we're discussing suffrage um, and so and women's right to vote. And I want to point out that the first recorded reference for Champ Clark's support for women's suffrage is an 1882 journal entry where he describes writing an article for a Vandalia, Missouri newspaper supporting the women's suffrage movement. And so way before, you know, we think that the national conversation is happening about women's suffrage, or at least, you know, what textbooks tell us uh, when we're high school students and, and middle school, junior high school students, the Clark family was talking about it decades before. And I definitely feel like Genevieve and Champ were talking about the issue of women's suffrage. And Genevieve's position, I think, definitely did play a key role in helping her husband feel more comfortable uh, taking maybe what was an unpopular decision and position at that time in the uh, mid to late 1800s. Now, in thinking about that point you made where, you know, he's addressing this in a diary in, in, you know, in the late 19th century, you know, the 1880s, you know, why do you think that was such a important subject in the Clark family household? Why do you think he was touching on it, getting to it so much earlier than perhaps some of his contemporary politicians? I really think it was a question of opportunity for the Clarks. We know from diaries and letters and just general statements that that, uh, both Champ and Genevieve made that they loved their children dearly. And I think they really wanted them to have every opportunity available to them, just like any parent would. So on a fundamental level, I think they had stepped back and realized, and maybe they didn't need to step back, maybe they just realized it, that Bennett was going to have more opportunities than his sister, not because he was a better speaker or because he was more popular or because he had a specific set of skills, but because his gender and his gender was entitled to vote. And I think the Clarks were very much a people of their time. And we see their contemporaries here in Pike County were also shattering glass ceilings. So for example, one of the Clark's biggest supporters and defenders was a woman by the name of Lulu Collins, who was the first woman admitted to the Pike County Bar Association and who had served as the president of Pike College. She was someone who was also a very early suffragette. And so we see you know, it, it's a question of, you know, who led who to have those thoughts first. But I really feel like it was the people that the Clarks were surrounded by and a combination of their love of their children that made the issue of suffrage a central issue for them well before uh, the mainstream American politicians and people were really having this uh, conversation. Now, tell us a little bit about their daughter, uh, Champ Clark and Geneve uh, Clark's daughter, Geneve Clark Thompson. Uh, Who was she and how did she kind of fit in with her family growing up? So she is somebody that when I talk to people about the Clarks, 
when they're taking a tour of Honey Shuck or just having a conversation like you and I are having. She is somebody that I am always trying to find a contemporary person that would best kind of fit her. And I really can't. She, in so many ways, was a trailblazer. Um, she was considered one of the most popular young women in America with changes to her individual fashion and hairstyle being discussed in newspaper columns and women's magazines across the country. I feel personally that she knew from a very early age that she was going to grow up to be somebody of importance. And she was. By 18, she was a published reporter with a series of articles about a congressional trip to Panama being printed. There are stories of her interacting with President Woodrow Wilson and being on the floor of the Baltimore National Convention in 1912 and kind of being a celebrated figure. But I also think even though she grew up to be of such importance to the country. One of, there's really three kind of favorite stories that I have of Genevieve. One is that she understood, much like her father, that America was built on the promise of a middle class and was built by middle class laborers and including farmers. And so when she heard through her peers who were working in newspapers and magazines across the country, and I'm sure it was a topic of conversation as well, about the plight of cotton farmers in the South who they were unable to meet um, the prices that were offered from overseas mills, she came up with this idea of having cotton balls um, where the most uh, stunning, the most popular, the most beautiful women of all of these southern cities were being encouraged by Genevieve, I guess you could say, to organize dances that would specifically require that all women, and again, you could say required or encouraged, that all women who attended wore gowns that were made from American cotton and were milled by American cotton. So she understood the importance of being connected and remaining connected to the working men and women of this country. And so she used that moment to help her fellow man. And I think that is a wonderful story of somebody who has really advanced far beyond um, their peers' social stature in Pike County, reaching back out and helping their fellow man. And so there's that story. There is the story of her wedding, which you, you have to understand Genevieve had grown up very much on the East Coast in D.C., in New York City, even though she was a daughter of Bowling Green, even though she, you know, considered Bowling Green her home, she hadn't really lived here for any lengthy period of time. The Clarks would come home for a couple of weeks over summer break in terms of Congress, uh, or they might come, you know, around Christmas or Thanksgiving. But Honeyshuck was kind of a stopping point. It wasn't 
home, um, as maybe you and I would consider our homes. And so when she got engaged to uh, Mr. Thompson, uh, who was at that time a, a newspaper reporter from New Orleans and considered one of America's most promising bachelors, um, she the assumption was that she and Mr. Thompson would be married in a great church, cathedral, or some antebellum home along the East Coast, if not in the Deep South. And so the idea of Genevieve getting married in Bowling Green was very considered far-fetched. And then she has this moment where she turns to her father and she says that she wants to be married in Bowling Green because that's her home. And so her wedding day is known as the day that Missouri came to a wedding because as it turns out, her father was really not capable of setting a limit on the guest list. He couldn't figure out who he wanted to be at his, at his daughter's wedding. And Genevieve couldn't figure out who she wanted to be at her wedding either. And so between the two of them, they just decided, well, let's invite the entire state of Missouri and all of our friends. And according to newspaper articles that were written at that time, 12,000 people attended this wedding. And so what, uh, to help people visualize this, I mean, there were no, um, airplanes really at that time there was no commercial airlines so people were traveling by train by horse and buggy um, by foot to get to bowling green and uh, it said that the women of bowling green had to prepare more than 500 cakes and pies to serve as desserts at the wedding party because she wasn't married outside of um you know, some great home. She was married outside of Honey Shock, which is just a simple two-story um, home. And she was just married out in this open field. And so you have this example of, once again, Genevieve Clark realizing her connection to the everyday working men and women of Missouri and of America. And she wanted to maintain that connection. And now then the third story that I really like about Genevieve is that she was somebody who understood again that she had a role to play. And she always understood that at that time, women were not expected to run for Congress. Women were to be supportive roles. That was the the norm, if you will, of society at that time. But she also knew that she was her father's daughter. And she ran in 1924 to become the Democratic nominee for a seat in Congress from the state of Louisiana's second district. She was overwhelmingly popular by all accounts, but she was running up into this old guard of uh, the MIT, the old boys club, if you will, of competitors of her husband's newspaper um, who ran editorials that were unabashedly sexist, um, who did 
you know, who they did not apologize for being more critical of a woman than they were of a man. She came within 2,500 votes of being our nation's second female member of Congress. So clearly she was somebody who had political ambition and we see that repeated again when her brother runs for the U.S. Senate and she helps him continue to campaign, continue to be a surrogate for him on the campaign trail, continue to rally support for then um, women who had the right to vote and reminding them very early and often that it was the Clark family who really helped push that thing over the hill, so to speak, and get it over the hump and get it to the finish line legislative wise so that the women of Northeast Missouri, the women of Missouri, because Bennett did run for U.S. Senate, that the women of Missouri had an allegiance to the Clark family, I think was Genevieve's perspective, because they, the Clarks, helped the women of Missouri get the right to vote. Very fascinating in that in that regard, and certainly we can see how not only her father's politics and her mother's influence, you know, inspired her later political activism, but also really how uh, suffrage in of itself, being a woman running for elected office so soon after the 19th Amendment really in, indicates suffrages, suffrage, the suffrage movement's kind of influence over her and her political career. Um, thinking about the, the Champ Clark home, thinking about the Clark's family home, uh, Honey Shuck, tell us a little bit about, about, about that location, about, that, about the house, and, and really its history. So when you begin to describe Honey Shuck, I think the important thing that people need to wrap their minds around is that a lot of times we think of our political leaders uh, uh, living in grand palaces, grand homes. I mean, you think of Mount Vernon, Monticello for uh, our former presidents. Champ Clark's home is not a grand palace. There is no elaborate staircase. There are There's no marble floors. There are no crystal chandeliers. When you step foot into Honey Shuck, you are stepping into an everyday American's home. And I really think that Honey Shuck, in some small way, helped keep the Clarks grounded into the world that they lived. Now, the home was built in 1888 on a property near Spring Hollow, which is um, a body of water, if you if you call that term, use that term generously, uh, that flows through Bowling Green. Um, and the name for the home comes from the honey locust trees uh, that grow nearby, including in the yard, that produce this brown seed pod, which when dried looks like a twisted leather strap. And that leather strap is known as a honey shuck. And so when the Clarks purchased the home in 1898, they again didn't really plan on ever living there. They just needed a home that was inviting, that they could turn to as retreat for when they needed to get away from DC, when they needed to get away from the politics. And so Honeyshuck became this epicenter of life for the Clark family for many years. Now, just because they left politics behind in D.C. when they came to Honeyshuck doesn't mean that politics didn't happen here. Um, we know um, that the Clark 
Clark's hosted a homecoming picnic uh, when Champ Clark was elected to the Speaker of the House position for the first time. And it, it was, again, the site of Genevieve Clark's wedding. But Genevieve Clark, the mother, used the library, used the formal setting room as places to uh, collaborate with her fellow women on issues that were impacting them. And so we, we know from newspaper accounts that um, a local Democratic club um, started in that front hall and in the front room um, and was attended by dozens of women from throughout the county. And so there's just lots of examples of this home being a home, um, but it was a place where politics is very much intertwined into it. Now, for those interested in, in visiting Honeyshuck and, and really getting a chance to tour the grounds and, and to tour the house, um, how can people kind of make arrangements uh, to visit the Champ Clark house? So Honeyshuck is available for tours. It is a private the owned uh, home turned museum. Uh, and on average, we see more than 500 people uh, come through the home for tours, including bus tours and school children. And to schedule a tour on the home, uh, we would just ask that people call 573-324-6707 or 573-324-3154. And one of our fabulous tour guides will be more than willing to arrange a tour. And we do have many unique political artifacts from the Clark's political life, including one that I feel really fits into today's topic of conversation. And that is a portion of a petition that was signed by women from Pike County and Northeast Missouri in general that says that if they had had the right to vote in 1912, that they would have cast their ballots for Champ Clark. Now, the lore around this petition is that it was, or the portion that we have, is that it was a part of a much larger petition that was taken to political rallies and women would sign this. And as an example of saying to their husbands or to the significant men in their life, that if they had the right to vote, this would be who they trusted with their vote. And so you can come and you can see this petition. And there were women from all throughout Pike County. And some of our longtime family names are present there. So we get a lot of folks who are coming in just for genealogy reasons to look and see, you know, was their family member, was their ancestor an early supporter of Champ Clark? Uh, and were they a suffragette? Did they want the right to vote? So that's a fun piece that we have at the home as well. I'd also highly encourage visitors to tour our flag room, which has one of the original Missouri state flags on display. And according to our information, it is one of just three flags that remain on display that were these original Missouri state flags. And so really we have a unique piece. I consider it kind of our crown jewel of our collection at Honeyshuck. And that flag was gifted to the museum many years ago. But people can come to Honeyshuck not just to learn about the Clark family, but to learn about other political figures that have come from Pike County or who have called Pike County home over the years. Uh, we have information regarding Clarence Cannon, who was a congressman who had been um, a clerk to Champ Clark. We have information again about 
Elliot Woolfolk Major, who was a uh, Lincoln County born, but Pike County resident when he ran and served as governor of the state of Missouri, ironically, at the same time that Champ Clark was running for president in 1912. So if you can imagine that Bowling Green, a town of roughly 3,500 people, would have been the home of Missouri's governor and the president of the United States at the same time is really remarkable. I don't know of any town of Bowling Green's size or really any city in the country that can boast such a thing. And Bowling Green came oh so close to that. So we have a lot of interesting uh, political figures who have come um, from Bowling Green. Edward B. Long um, was uh, is another political figure that we have information on. But another part of our collection that is really unique is we have the records of Pike County's one-room schoolhouses. And so people come um, to not just learn about political figures, to not just learn about uh, the Clark family, but also to learn about their family's history. And so it's a really unique part of our collection that people are able to tour and read and actually see the academic records of where their ancestors attended school, who were their classmates, and who their teachers were, which as someone who loves history, loves genealogy, that provides such interesting uh, material for families to really savor and really helps shed some light on the early years of your family's ancestry. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Ethan. You are welcome. And I would like to just add, if I can, to the part about the listeners visiting the site, that for more information, people can also go on to our website, uh, champclark.org, or visit us on Facebook at the Clark House Honey Shuck. We provide information about the collection there, as well as upcoming events. Uh, one of our big events that we hold every election cycle is a stump speaking event. And candidates from all across the state uh, have come to the Honey Shuck lawn to actually stand on the stump, just like Champ Clark would have, and ask Pike Countyans for their vote. It's one of our most time-honored traditions, and I would be remiss if I did not include that. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri. <laughs>